This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So back to James chapter 1, verse 22 now. What does it mean to be a doer of the Word? Notice what James says. James says, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only for... If any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now, the glass is a mirror. He's talking about looking at yourself in a mirror. And what do you see when you look at yourself in a mirror? Don't you see who you are and what you look like? That's what mirrors are for. Ask any teenager. To stare at yourself to see how you look. That's the point that James is making here. Being a hearer of the word is like looking at yourself in a mirror. For he beholds himself, sees who he is, and goes his way. Leaves the mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Now remember the context that he's talking about is being a doer of the word. The doer of the word is blessed in his deed. He's going to tell us here's what doing the word is like. But, verse 25, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Now, what's he saying? He's saying looking into the word of God, which is the perfect law of liberty he's referring to, which he must know is part of what he's writing and adding to. Whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He's saying the word of God should be like a mirror for us to see ourselves. And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Can I ask you how he did the work? He continued in the word. When James says, be a doer of the word and not hearers only, he's talking about continuing in the word. He's saying the same thing that Jesus is talking about when he talks about the sower so in the word. He talks about the four different types of ground. The stony ground, or the wayside, first of all. It's where Satan comes immediately and steals the word. The stony ground is is that that doesn't have much depth of earth. They don't continue to water the seed. And so it doesn't produce anything. The seed that's sown among thorns grows up, but it gets choked out by the wrong stuff. All three of those, he's talking about distractions. Distractions to either keep you from receiving the word of God when you first hear it or distraction to keep you from attending to the word of God after you do hear it. He's talking about atten- he's talking about distractions. He's talking about distractions of life, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, for example. He's talking about affliction and persecution, things that the devil will use to draw your attention away for one and only one purpose, and that's to keep you from continuing in the word. Now, how do you continue in the word? Well, one way to continue in the word is to speak it. Otherwise, you'll forget who you are. Now, who we are is who we are in Christ. So being a doer of the work is continuing in the knowledge and in the practice of who we are in Christ. Now, remember verse 21? He said, lay aside the distractions of this life and the desires of the flesh. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. In other words, he's saying to continue in the word is the key to renewing your mind to the truth. That's what Paul called the renewing of the mind. uh, Renewing the word renew that he used literally means reversal by repetition. He's talking about speaking the word. 
He's talking about speaking the word. Speaking the word. Saying what God's word says. Saying who you are in Christ. And that's what he calls doing the word. Are you out there? I know I've gone a long way around the bush, but do you understand what I'm saying? Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. To the degree that he speaks the word of God, he'll be blessed in his deed. That's why he goes into chapter 2 and says, but don't think speaking the word alone is sufficient. You've got to act according to what you say you believe. You've got to act according to your confession. If you really believe it, you'll live it. If you really believe it, you'll live it. Verse 26, he continues in chapter 1. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. Why is he talking about the tongue? He's been talking about the tongue all along. Being a doer of the word has been confessing the word of God. That's the definition of what he's been talking about. He said, if any man bridleth not his tongue, doesn't control his tongue. Well, why in the world would he start a new subject concerning controlling the tongue? He's not starting a new subject. He's been talking about speaking the word of God, controlling your tongue to say the right thing as being the definition of being a doer of the word. Are you with me? Do you understand? This is key. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's simple, but it's huge. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. In other words, he's saying it's in vain to speak the word some of the time. And not control your tongue to speak against the word at other times. He's saying this man's religion is vain. He may sound on occasion like he's saying the right thing. But if he doesn't do it consistently. Remember he's the one that said in verse 8. A double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now he's going to define what being double minded is. Double minded is continuing part time in the word. And and other times speaking something to the contrary. And he said that won't work. Just like faith without corresponding actions won't work. Making a confession without living out the confession in your life. That won't work either. It it almost sounds like the Holy Ghost wants wants us to understand how to make it work. The works that James is talking about is living what you say you believe. Being a doer of the work or a doer of the word is to speak God's word. To speak God's word. Now, if Martin Luther understood this, he wouldn't have had a problem with the book of James. He would have said, well, I don't like the way he said it. It'd be nice if the translators translators use different terminology. But he's saying exactly the same thing that Paul said. It makes it sound like James did faith. uh, James is saying Abraham was faith plus works where Paul said, when he was tried, when Abraham was tried, he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice, just like what God said. God, he just obeyed God. One way is certainly, James' way is certainly more offensive to us and harder for us to hear than Paul's way. But they're saying exactly the same thing. Now, let me show you an example of this. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse uh, 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship into the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh into the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. 
And Jesus went with them, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? But Jesus looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came one came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Now let me stop the story right there and ask you a question. How long did it take for the woman with the issue of blood to get her story out and tell what happened and the whole incident to take place? We read it in a few verses, 10 verses, I think. How long did it take? What I'm trying to get across to you is there's a, uh, a length of time, a distance that they have to travel from wherever Jesus was to Jairus' house. I'm sure Jairus is counting the seconds because if your daughter was at the point of death, you'd want to get there instantly, wouldn't you? If you believe Jesus was your answer, then the key is to get Jesus in front of your daughter before she dies. Now, the reality is they wouldn't have made it anyway. Because before the woman with the issue of blood finishes or just as she finishes her story, and who knows how long that took. I mean, just for Jesus to find the woman had to take a few minutes at least. Maybe longer. Maybe she was afraid. It says fearing and trembling fell down before him and told him all the truth. Maybe she was really afraid and wouldn't own up to it. And Jesus wouldn't leave until he found out who she was. I don't know how long it took, but folks, it was not bang, bang, bang. However long it took, as soon as she finishes, somebody has come back from Jairus' house saying, too late, she's dead. So it could be that she was dead by the time that Jairus got to Jesus. That's entirely possible. Don't know the distances, so there's no way to confirm it one way or the other, but it's entirely possible. We don't know yet how close they are to his house. There may still be a long way left to go. Now, what is Jesus going to tell Jairus to do? I mean, this is a different thing than he bargained for. Jairus came to Jesus to keep his daughter from dying. Now the report is she's already died. Did Jairus come to Jesus with, with uh, faith to raise his daughter from the dead? We don't have any way to assume that. We don't have anything that he said that would indicate that. For example, Jairus didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, please come to my house. My daughter's at the point of death. But even if we don't make it in time, I believe you can raise her from the dead. Now, if he'd said that, then we would, have, we would have something to base our assumptions on. But absent that, which we don't have, we don't know what his faith was other than for her to be healed if he can get Jesus to her in time. Now the news comes, she's already dead. What would you do? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So what does he do? What does Jesus say to the man? Jesus immediately speaks up, and what does he do? Does he say, well, we need to get to the temple. Forget getting to your house. We need to get to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Brother, what you need to do is say three Hail Marys and... Whatever else the Catholics tell you to do, I don't even know. What's the work that he tells the father to do? I mean, this is a whole different animal now. This is not healing. This is raising from the dead. We can call healing just healing, but man, at the very least, this is a miracle that you need now. Whole different category. What does Jesus tell the father to do? Jesus, let's read it again. While he yet spake, verse 35, while he yet spake, Jesus is still speaking to the woman. There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus does not give this guy a chance to speak. Jesus speaks immediately before the father can open his mouth. Folks, that's key. Some people say, oh, you faith people make too much of confession. Jesus seemed to think that the words that he's about to say are going to be really important. Well, it wouldn't have mattered. God's in control of all these things. It wouldn't have mattered what the Father said. Jesus is going to perform the will of God no matter what. Then why is Jesus in such a hurry to speak before the Father does? Folks, your words are so important. Be not afraid, only believe. Notice what Jesus didn't say. You're going to need a different measure of faith. You're going to need more faith. You're going to need a different type of faith. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, be not afraid, only believe. What does that mean? That means God's power is much greater than you thought it was to begin with anyway. That means there's more to God. There's more to Jesus and his power than what you ever expected to need. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Now, the Father seems to get it because the Bible doesn't tell us that there is any more conversation whatsoever. Verse 37, and he suffered no man to follow him. Now, here's one thing Jesus does is he makes sure the people with the report of the daughter being dead don't stay in touch with the Father. When you're in the middle of a a, uh, crisis situation, you better remove the people that aren't going to talk right around you. Because no matter what you intend, no matter how strong in faith you think you are, you get the wrong people around you, they'll get you saying the wrong things. And he suffered no man to follow him, save or accept Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the ruler of the, the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeps. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. 
Jesus did not have faith or did not have power on command to where he could operate indiscriminately with. For example, the story that we just read in uh, Mark chapter 5 about the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus was surprised that power went out of him. When she reached in from behind and touched the hem of his garment, Jesus said, uh, the Bible says, that when he felt power or virtue go out of him, he turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Now, folks, if Jesus operated on the earth the way that most people think that he did, most Christians think that he did, that he knew everything and was all powerful and everything else, why did he ask who did it? Why didn't he turn around and call the woman by name and said, I've been looking for you. Come on up here. God showed me before I ever started on this journey that you'd be coming. Why did Jesus have to look around to find out who did it? Jesus, the Bible says, laid aside his heavenly power and glory. That means he did not know everything that was going on before it happened. It means the power was not his to dictate If it was his to use indiscriminately whenever he wanted to at his pleasure, why does Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 say that in Nazareth he couldn't do any mighty work? He didn't have any healing signs or miracles. The Bible says the reason he couldn't was, and the reason he marveled was at their unbelief. You know, if you're going to want to do good anywhere, it's going to be in your hometown. But the Bible says he couldn't. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. That means was unable to do any healing miracle. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He tried to change it by going through the synagogues and teaching. But their unbelief kept him from being able to do any healing miracle. So the power of God, the healing power and miracle working power of God was not his to use indiscriminately unless the Bible's wrong. Well, if that's the case... And if faith is necessary for the power of God to work, even though God wants it to work all the time, if faith is necessary, then that must be the reason why Jesus told the father, Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. In other words, don't say anything to gum up the faith that you've already exercised. Don't say anything to the contrary. Because all that's necessary for the miracle working power the, the power of God that Jairus thought was going to be healing power, now to be raising from the dead power. Same power, same God. One works the same as another as far as God's concerned. I know we think of things differently. The only thing that's necessary for to make that power work is faith. So what does Jesus do? He has to stop the guy from speaking. And he does. So now Jesus knowing full well that faith has been exercised that will even raise this girl from the dead, gets in the middle of the crowd and acts on his faith and says, what are you guys crying for? She's just asleep. Now, look at that. We understand it from Jesus' point of view, but look at it from their point of view. They know the girl is dead. So when Jesus comes in the middle of the crowd and says, what are you making the fuss for? She's not dead. She's just asleep. They know differently. Jesus is operating from God's point of view. The situation is not too hard for the power of God. They're operating from a natural standpoint. You've got to be kidding. She's dead. That would be nice if somebody spoke up and said, Well, Jesus, we've heard about you doing miracles. Are you about to do one now? 
but we don't have record of that either. So what did Jesus do? It says they laughed him to scorn, verse 40. But when he had put them all out, please notice Jesus didn't try to fix them. He didn't preach a sermon. He just showed them the door. Folks, that's what you have to do when people won't believe. Don't try to make them believe. Just show them the door. You don't have to try to justify your faith. You don't have to try to explain what you're believing or why. Just show them the door. In other words, separate yourself from those that won't believe with you. Now, if there's only one lesson you get from this, please learn that one. In the middle of a crisis, you cannot afford people that won't believe with you. So when he put them all out, then he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. Has anybody said anything yet? Not a word. Now, I don't know if this is the entirety of the story or not. I don't know if the mother started trying to speak. We don't know. But we would have to assume if she did try to speak, either Jairus or Jesus stopped her. So then Jesus took the damsel by the hand and said, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Notice there was no lightning flash. There's no thunder from heaven. There's no voice from God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I invested all my power and all my glory. Took her by the hand and said, Arise. And she did. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded them that they should give, that she should be given something to eat. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, that was Jesus. And oh, if we could only get to where Jesus was here on the earth, if we had only been in, in that time, that day and that time. Folks, I got something to tell you. And I mean this with all sincerity. That would have been one of the worst times to live in. Because the chances of you finding out what you already know, not including what you have yet to learn, but what you already know about who we are in Christ and the power and the authority that belongs to us because Jesus is risen from the dead, the chances of you learning that in that day, in those days, is slim to none. You live in a better day. And that presupposes that Jesus was different, operated differently when he was here on the earth to, over, to watch over the word of God and to perform the word of God then than he is now. Is that true? Did Jesus watch over his word more when he was here on the earth than he does watch over his word today? Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll close with this. Let's back up into chapter 2. Let's start in verse 14. For as much then, Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, speaking of Jesus, he also himself likewise took part of the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now the death he's talking about is not just Jesus hanging on the cross, but spiritual death. That's what destroyed the devil's power, not Jesus' body being broken. And deliver them, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's who we were in Adam. We had a fear of death because we couldn't escape it. And therefore we were in bondage to it. 
For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, his earthly form was not angelic. His earthly form was just a normal Jew. Israelite. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he tempted, he himself having suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or aid or relieve them that are tempted. Now, those verses we just read in chapter 2 are very simply saying, Jesus experienced everything in the flesh that you will ever experience and more. And because of that, it enables him to be a faithful high priest. Faithful means he's diligent in his duties. What does a high priest do? High priest ministers between God and man. He ministers on behalf of man unto God and on behalf of God unto man. He's the go-between, the mediator, the, the one in between. So he's merciful and he's faithful. He's a merciful and faithful high priest, faithful to con, uh, carry out all the duties between God and man that he's given to do, and merciful, not full of justice, but merciful. For in that... He himself having suffered was tempted. He is able to aid or relieve them that are tempted. Chapter 3, wherefore? Because he is a merciful and faithful high priest. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, understand, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, it just said that he's a merciful and faithful high priest. What is the, the faithful high priest over? What you say. How does he minister to God on your behalf? Through what you say. That's what the word profession means. It's the word translated confession other places in the New Testament. He's a merciful and faithful high priest of your confession. In other words, it's saying that Jesus watches over the word of God that comes out of your mouth. Today, just like he did when Jairus spoke in Mark chapter 5. He hasn't lost one bit of his overseeing power. He still deals with the words that you speak on your behalf unto God today, like he did when Jairus has said, when Jairus said to Jesus, Come lay your hands on my daughter that she may live and not die. Thank God we have a merciful and faithful high priest. That means every word. Now this is the scary part. Every word that comes out of your mouth is what Jesus has to work with. If you speak the word only, that's good news. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've made such a mistake. That's why it's important to know that he's a merciful high priest. You know, you only need mercy when you miss it. You don't need mercy when you're standing in right ground because of your own actions. When you need mercy is when you've messed up. Thank God he's merciful. Because I've certainly messed up enough, more than my share, but he's always been merciful. What is being a doer of the word? Saying what God's word says. And the doer is blessed in his deed. The doer is blessed to the degree that he speaks the word of God and lives accordingly. There's a big difference in hearing the word of God and doing it or putting it in practice in your life. Be a practicing Christian. Be a doer of the word. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. Thank you.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. And notice he identifies that with the sons of God. Now, who are the sons of God? Isn't that everybody that's saved? So notice that he's saying that everybody that's born again, everybody that's made Jesus the Lord of their lives, has a right, and I believe a responsibility, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.